kids a lot of fun to fight them. You know, it's a hell of a hoot. Uh, it's fun to shoot some people. I'll be right up on you. I like brawling. Semper Fi. But if you've been a Marine, you know those words are a battle cry, a greeting. They're Marine shorthand for the motto of the Corps. Semper Fidelis. Always faithful. The Bellow Woodsman, Episode 1. Broadcasting live from the shores of lovely Lake Bandini, this is the inaugural, inaugural episode of the Bellow Woodsman, a celebration of all things Marine Corps, from the serious to the absurd. I'm David, and joining me is Jeff. Hey, And Justin. Hello. All right. Um, and just some quick, um, since this is the first episode, I guess we should probably talk about ourselves a little bit. Um, I joined the Marine Corps when I was, joined the Marine Corps in 1999 when I was 17. Um, ended up in uh, Victor 3-7, 29 Palms, as a mortarman. Um, spent three years roughly in 29 Palms, did... One deployment to Okinawa, one to Iraq in 2003, with Jeff, actually. Um, trying to think. I got out in 2003, got married, did the family thing, went to college. I'm actually an attorney practicing in Kentucky right now, and, uh, and that's pretty much my story in about 30 seconds. But you, Jeff? Uh, well, I also joined uh, at the tender age of 17 in 1999. I went to, you know, 3-7, was a machine gunner, raw, brick hard cocks. And uh, let's see, did uh, well stayed the whole time with uh, David. Uh, did the Okinawa, did the OIF one. Uh, in '03, I went to Paris Island as a uh, rifle coach, uh, teaching combat marksman uh, marksmanship on A line. Uh, did that till about uh, 2006 when I couldn't stand it anymore and begged to go back to 29 Palms. Uh, did two more deployments with 27. Uh, did an Iraq and. Uh, 2007, right outside of Fallujah, and did Afghanistan in 2008. After that, I got out, uh, putted around, did some you know jobs for a little while. Uh, went to the University of Miami, graduated from there, and that's me. You were an underwater welder for a time, weren't you? I was. That was one of the bullshit jobs I was telling you about. <laughs> I remember seeing the pictures of that and thinking that's that looks really really difficult. Yeah. All right, uh, Justin, what's up? Uh, Justin here. I uh, joined at the age of 18 from June 2000 to November 2004. I was with Marine Heavy Helicopter Squadron 466, the Wolfpack, out of uh, Miramar, down in southern, sunny southern California. It was a six-month tour in Okinawa that lasted 12 months and seven months in Iraq. Um, since then, I've uh, got out in 2004, uh, did a bunch of crap jobs, too, and uh, been have been an EMT in Louisville for the last seven years. Boy, is that great. Cool. Are you, is that sarcastic or, oh, or what? Uh, I wish I'd stayed in every <laughs> single every single day I clocked in. I wish I'd stayed in the Marine Corps. I actually spent uh, a good bit of time trying to get back in, but um, you know the window closed on me. Basically, the economy fell apart, and right. thanks Obama. Right. But uh, <laughs> all right. So um, basically, tonight's show will follow a formula that's going to be similar in each podcast. We might change the order a little bit, um, and. The first episode's main topic is going to be Deployment Stories Okinawa, uh, which is what we'll talk about here in a second. There's probably going to be sequels to this because we have, between the three of us, we've got to have so many friends with amazing stories from there that we can bring in and talk about this stuff too. But, uh, but for now, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to share some stories of uh, debauchery and stupidity from the island home of Mr. Miyagi, if you remember 
Um, so, yeah. So um, anyway, one of the things um, I ended up when we deployed to Okinawa, I'm not sure if you were with me, Jeff, when I deployed because I, I went early and I was on working party and I ended up having to work in the chow hall at Camp Schwab for a month. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> I remember um, everything was like a month behind pop culture wise. So when we got there, they had MTV constantly on the, the, the TV or whatever, and everything was uh, stuff, stuff I'd seen like a month before, which was real strange. But the thing I remember the most is the size of the rodents. Um, I remember seeing rats the size of dogs uh, running around inside the chow hall, which I've heard that they've demolished since then, actually. Um, I'm not sure if it was there when you were there, Justin, if you ever went to Camp Schwab. But, um, but you yeah, know, that's, that's kind of how my deployment started. Um, I remember doing the battle sites tour and all that stuff, the, which was to me kind of the highlight, of the highlight of the whole deployment because I really, once I left uh, Camp Schwab for the first couple weekends and went to Gate Two Street and um, all those other places, I can't remember where all they were now to be honest, like Naha and whatever. I really lost interest in everything outside the gates and spent most of my deployment swimming in the uh, at the beach or going to the free movies there on base. Um, yeah, that's that, that about sums up my entire Okinawa experience. Although I did get to go to Camp Fuji, which was cool, but that'll probably be another episode, another day. Yeah, Rapungi. <laughs> yeah, yeah Rapungi. I guess, uh, I mean, my major regret about Okinawa is I didn't take enough pictures. I mean, because we all figured that we were just going to come back and, you know, about a year and a half anyway, but, you know, we decided to go to Iraq in, instead. Um, right. I don't know. I mean, uh, a lot of it to me was an alcohol-induced haze because uh, they took uh, half of the company. They went on the the LF Carrot float, and the rest of mm-hmm. us basically stayed back. And I think a lot of it, at least in my platoon, um, uh, the people that were in charge of me, my squad leader, he was so butthurt that he didn't go on the Carrot float. He basically just stayed in his room, and I had no adult supervision for six months. <laughs> That's basically what <laughs> what happened there. Um, yeah, I remember hearing stories like, and I, I never. Like I said, I didn't venture out much because I just uh, I was I was a barracks rat anyway. But uh, I remember hearing stories of like um, you know um, people going. I remember one of the guys in my platoon. I won't say his name, but at the end of the uh, when we were doing our little uh, exit brief, I remember he raised his hand and and staff sergeant asked if anyone thought they had any had contracted any medical uh, any diseases or whatever. And he raised his hand and he mentioned that he had had unprotected sex with about 10 prostitutes. Um, <laughs> yeah. He told the entire platoon that I'm like, yeah, yeah, he can't do that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, he, he did, you know, good, good on him. So, uh, and you were there for a year, Justin. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, let's see, we went, uh, the first six months I was part of the, uh, 31st Mew, the Okinawa 500 went nowhere, did nothing. It was, I say that back, we went to Tokyo towards the end of that uh, and got to go to Rapungi. But for the most part, the first six months was, was sitting around base. And uh, I think it was Christmas Eve. We went to our ready to go home brief, sat through that for a few hours, followed directly by, we're not going home. Uh, and they pulled our advance party back and we spent another six months on the island. But I was kind of like you uh, initially. I, you know, it had that must wear a belt, must tuck in your shirt, all that crap when you leave the base. I I didn't leave very often. I went snorkeling a lot when I did. But beyond that, I lost interest in uh, the locals and Gate 2 Street. And, you know, I turned 21 
three days after, four days after they told us we weren't going home. So the next six months were mostly alcohol <laughs> and alcohol induced taste <laughs> as well. So not that the first six weren't, but uh, you know the whole limit of six pack to your room and all that other stuff. It just uh, it's yeah. it's a different world over there. But did different, you different did world. you ever have a typhoon party? We did, we did. Now that that yeah, we did. The the, the squadron before us, they had gotten in trouble because somebody got drunk and tied sheets to their ankles and wrist and jumped out in the wind and got drugged down the street and ended up cut all to hell. So they were pretty, pretty in our shit about not going outside during that. But yeah, we, uh, we stocked up pretty good and it was all good until we ran out of like food and we were eating MREs and drinking beer. Yeah. And that's all we did for like a week. It was, it was pretty crappy. I just, ugh. It's fun at first. Though. I like that. One of, one of the best things about the typhoon was that you, you know, like no PT, no formations. You know, you just uh, like everyone and all the officers and stuff and the staff and CEOs were across base. So you kind of had the place to yourself. And, and like like Jeff was talking about, half of our company was gone. So the barracks were half empty. So, you know, it was, you know, it was party on basically. It was, uh, I just remember seeing like uh, expecting much more of a typhoon, honestly. Like I got really nervous about it. And then when it came, it was just, it was, it was, you know, it was intense and strong and all that. But ultimately it wasn't, wasn't that big a deal. <laughs> You know, but uh, remember the what, what what camp are you on, Justin? Uh, Fatima, the air station. Yeah, yeah. I, I, my my ba- my base experience was limited to uh, to Schwab, Hanson, and uh, Kadena. I guess Camp Foster is there too as well. Um, mm-hmm. And on Kadena, I remember like a couple of guys from our platoon got drunk on Gate Two Street and went to Kadena to catch the bus home, and. Yeah, they got busted by the Air Force MPs and nice. and uh, like you know the Blue Falcon. There was remember that um there was a, like a country western bar called Western World. What was that there when you were there? I don't remember. Um, I remember there was a steakhouse uh, right there on um, that served like American style steak and like um, I don't I remember I remember the uh, was it the hooking jab hooking jab was there wasn't it? Uh, that was on Foster. I'm talking about like uh, out in out in town. Uh, there was this, uh, I don't know, just a, a really terrible uh, country western bar called Western World. And um, I don't know, that's, that's where most of the fights that, you know, uh, Cap Platoon ever got in happened or at least started from there. It's just like a, a mix of, uh, you know, Air Force guys and Marines and lots of booze. And they had uh, bull riding or what they were calling bull riding uh, there. And the bulls were miniature <laughs> and you know, they, they didn't buck or anything <laughs> and you know the the guy just you know got on the bull and the bull would you know sort of trot around the ring and and that was the bull riding so it was an actual it was an actual like live bull? yeah 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 it was a bull yeah okay not, not mechanical no, wow. no. was it was it somebody from your platoon that won the mustang um somebody won a mustang at the the foster px oh that was uh, <laughs> uh gara i want to say from uh from javelins okay okay Interesting. <laughs> but um, so how many times did you go over there, Jeff? Uh, two or three. Uh, the, the, time that st- the time that stands out was, uh, uh, you remember Winterly, right? Yeah. yeah. A big ripped guy, muscular guy. Uh, and, and we're there, and, and we're, we're, we're with Gomont. And uh, Gomont's, you know, uh, he's, he's a tall guy, kind of lanky, but, you know, you never knew that he was, you know, uh, a, a pretty much a ninja. 
you know, like <laughs> nobody in the company could take Gomont. Anyway, so so this right. guy, you know, he's drunk and everything, and he's like, you know, I want to fight you, points at Winterly. Winterly takes off his shirt, and he's like, no, not you, you, Gomont. <laughs> and, um, well, when I remember right, Go- Gomont was um, one of those guys who was like the most loyal guy you'd ever meet. Um, and he's the kind of guy you want to have on your side, and I guess in any any a fight situation. Yeah, but but you know, like the company yeah. bull in the ring, he, he was the guy that you know nobody would nobody could take. That's right. That's right. He was. Yeah. Oh, uh, did, did either of you guys go to Whisper Alley? Yes. Yeah, no. I did. No. Oh, you did. Yeah, uh, multiple <laughs> times actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I never I never actually went. Um, I went to Gate. Like I said, I went to Gate Two Street. There's another one there called. Uh, is it? Is it? Um, is that a street that goes off Gate Two Street that's like covered? I remember they were selling beer outside in coolers, but uh, and that's where all the the Bami drinkery bars were, with the I guess the Filipino girls who had all been trafficked, probably. Yeah, they were um, the same deployment cycle as we were. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, what were your uh, what were your impressions of Whisper Alley? Uh, it's just as terrible as you would think it was. I mean, but yeah, you know. I, I mean, for, for the Marines, for the Marines, I guess the people listening don't know, uh, Whisper Alley is, uh, it's called that, from what I understand, um, the reason it gets that name is because uh, servicemen, historically, when they walked down the street, someone would whisper at them from behind these walls or whatever, these doors, to come in, and, you know, these are all prostitutes, but, but what I've heard is that they're all, like, 70 and 80 years old. Um, story. <laughs> and, um... Yeah, so um, I kind of I really should have gone to see it just to, just for the novelty factor and to, to see something I've never seen before. But uh, but uh, yeah, and there was a, there was a club that I think the president's club was the one where they had the girl who would sit on the roll of quarters and then give you change. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, banana. good times. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah, one of our guys in our platoon has his picture up on <laughs> in the in there. Yeah, see, and, and you were talking about not taking enough pictures, and I was in the same boat, of course. We all thought we were coming back. And in fact, uh, I was. you and I both were probably scheduled to be on LF Care the next time, and uh, the war inter- intervened. Yeah. Um, but uh, I guess remember, I mean, the place is stunning. It's beautiful. I mean, it's, south, it's, it's like a South Pacific paradise, really, um, except for all of, like, the human waste and, um, you know, people out in town that hate you. Um, and the Buddhist monks sitting outside the gates, banging his drum <clears throat> because we were there. I wonder if he was moved across the street when the uh, after 9/11 happened, because he used to stand right there outside the front gate um, of Camp Schwab and beat his drum and protest America. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure whatever happened to him after 9/11, because I know that like on 9/11 they were all booted off off the base. Is what I always heard, what I heard. But um, anyway, all right. Well. Um, We'll have more of that later, another time. Um, I think we've probably shared enough, probably more than we should have. Um, and next, we'll do the um, Liberty Brief from Jeff. I do not consent! I do not consent! Help! Help! This is right! This is sort of a compilation of uh, all the best Liberty briefs that, that I ever got. Uh, I'm just going to keep it kind of light um, here, and then I'll, I'll make something more inventive next time. So I'll just go ahead and go <laughs> now. Uh, 
All right, so if you drink, don't drive. If you drive, don't drink. Don't smoke weed. Don't smoke pole. Don't go to rave parties. If you skydive, <laughs> use a parachute. If you scuba dive, use a wetsuit. And never, never pet the burning dog because it's stupid. <laughs> and uh, you've, you've given actual little brief. <laughs> you, you've done that before, have, haven't you? Yeah, in I New have. York. So, wow. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember... Um, the the Friday Libo brief. Um, we had this major who was a real what was his name? I can't remember what his name was. He was a real academic type. He used to teach. No, no, no. Samaroff was a was was like an intellectual badass. I mean, like this guy was a was sort of like more of the um, the bookworm type who really couldn't talk to anybody. And he would he got in front. Of, he, one time he was assigned to give the battalion Libo uh, brief because the BC was out. And he stood up there and mumbled for about 30 or 45 seconds. And then I was understood what he said, and then he just walked off stage. And uh, what was that? I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, but uh, I say, very, very nice guy. Not the kind of guy you would think is a Marine Corps major, but uh, much more low-key than the second XO we had, who was the uh, the guy, the black guy, who would, uh, who everyone that, Got a speeding ticket out in town. Ended up on his working party on Saturdays. Yeah, going to police call range four hundred. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's right. Yeah. See, it's talking about things like this reminds me of why I got out in the first place. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> all right. So um, uh, moving on to part three of this show. We came. We saw. We died. I would bomb the shit out of him. These candidates make me want to vomit in terror. We're going to try and hit a current events topic every week and tie it back into um, the uh, the military experience from a veteran's perspective, specifically from the Marine Corps perspective. Um, and the big event this week, well, first off, we have a presidential election going on, obviously. And um, we're going to do a multi-part series on the fitness of the candidates to be commander-in-chief, because it's important to talk about that kind of thing. Um, and... The this week we're going to do Donald Trump, and uh, the big story this week, of course, is the issue that issue quote unquote that that he's had with the uh, the uh, the parents of the Muslim soldier. I think he was a captain in the army who was killed in Iraq. And if I recall correctly, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong about this. Uh, Trump's remarks were basically to was George Stephanopoulos was the interviewer, if I recall correctly. And he was talking about um, – he asked him about the criticism that had been leveled at him by this family at the DNC. And he basically said – criticized them for making those comments. Didn't necessarily, I don't think from what I heard, criticize the sacrifice or, or their – I don't know, their um, – the uh, – you know anything about necessarily their son? They went after them for being basically being Muslim, saying the wife was standing there and she's not probably not allowed to speak. Um, and this has obviously caused a problem, and the media is treating it like a major scandal, and they're kind of looking past the fact that Hillary did the same thing with uh, you know the, the guys in Benghazi. Um, but what do you guys think? this says about Trump's fitness to be commander-in-chief. Justin. I, I think it's hard because, you know, Khan open, opened himself up to that by going to the DNC and attacking Trump. Trump never said anything about Khan before that. 
he put himself in a position for this to happen. Probably a setup. I get it because I think people have learned by now that when you attack Trump, he he doesn't really just take it too well. He he fires back, and I I I think it's probably the wrong person to attack, in in the sense that it's a gold star family, and right, you know they. They, their their son their son made a sacrifice. Their son paid a price. They obviously lost something, but their son is the one that made the sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, right. but, but they put themselves out there for that to happen when they decided to go to the DNC and attack Donald Trump and pull out a constitution and and all this other stuff. They opened themselves up to it. I think if you're going to play you know play the big boy game, you got to prepare to to hit like a man to be hit like a man. Yeah. I, I I did notice. Um, I have no again. I have noticed that that perspective is, and plus, and the 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 more we learn about this guy's background, oh. you know, it, it it's 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 concerning. But uh, I'm guessing Jeff may have a different take on it. Uh, uh, I'm very ambivalent about the whole thing, really. Uh, I mean, I agree with everything that Justin said, um, very much. So I there's nothing that you can tell me that will not make me believe that. Um, they weren't baiting Trump in to saying, you know, something, anything. Uh, I am concerned that he is that easy to bait. I mean, you had to have known. Um, it, why not just shut up? I mean, that that's, right. you know, why not be the adult in the room? Um, yeah. I mean, if, I've, if, I've, that's, I've, be presidential. That's, you know... Yeah. Uh, and I've heard that there's been, I'm not, and the story is just, I think it's kind of run away a little bit. There's been discussions of, uh, well, first off, backing up, Stephanopoulos is an ally of the Clintons. Yes. Um, we, we know that. And so it doesn't, it wouldn't surprise me if it was a setup. And now there's been talk of trying to get the uh, RNC to use Trump's kids to intervene uh, with Donald and trying to get him to, to streamline his message, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that there, that honestly, Donald could probably stop talking and never appear again in this campaign, and still get the and not upset his base. You know what I mean? Um, and I'm not saying he should do that, but I'm saying he could theoretically not upset his base if he stopped just talking at all and let his kids speak for him because they tend to be much more eloquent speakers. Um, but you know, it's 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 concerning to me that. You know, I, I'm not saying necessarily who I'm voting for, but it is concerning that that someone like this being president, what are they going to say? You know, because being being on The Apprentice and being a candidate, even, you know, when when a foreign leader says something bad about you, you know, you can spit back and say things like that. But when you're when you're the head of state, you're representing all of us. Exactly. And and that's something that he's going to have to deal with. And if, if he can, I think if he can temper it, again, people are making a big deal about this, and there's been big deals in every, I mean, stuff like this happens every single election cycle. Now, Donald Trump's a new phenomenon, but but I tend to think this will probably be one of those things at the end of the campaign season, when this is all over with, we'll barely remember it. You know what I mean? Um, so, I don't know. But as far as, um, you know... What it said, what as far as Donald Trump in general as commander in chief, it's one of those things where, you know, when you looked at the the lineup of candidates in the primaries, even all of them, there were seventeen of them, 
and I, I'm I'm thinking off the top of my head, I can't think of any of them aside from Jim Webb that had any military experience. Yep. Um, um, so we're sort of, you know, to the point where, in my opinion at least, we're sort of past the, uh, past the point where, once the primary started, we were already past the point where we had to, where we had that as a, as a, as a factor in the race. Especially because Jim Webb dropped out almost immediately, and that's a guy I probably would have voted for. I agree. As a as a Democrat, and I, have, I rarely ever vote Democrat, but I'd have voted for him probably. But uh, Justin, just to be, uh, who was your choice in the primary? Was it, if you don't mind? Uh, I liked Cruz, um, but honest to God, I voted for Kasich in the uh, in the in the primary we had in Kentucky, just because I I really liked that he wasn't negative, that he was just kind of the the other guy. You know, he's just kind mm-hmm. of there, and I fell into the trap like a lot of other people did of just keeping him in the race, keeping him in the race. But I really did like just 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 the way he projected himself was so so much different than Trump, who's very boisterous, and Ted Cruz, who just is kind of annoying sometimes. He was the other guy <laughs> that just just didn't seem like that bad of a person compared to the the, the two he was he was fighting against. Yeah. Well, I'm making an assumption here, Jeff. Um, I'm not sure if you're a Republican or not, um, or if you voted in the primary. But uh, if you were to vote in the Republican primary, who would you have voted for? Or if you did, uh, I did vote. Um, let's see. I uh, I wanted to vote for uh, Rand Paul, but but he was out before uh, the South Carolina primary. Uh, I wound up voting for uh, Kasich. Oh, I voted for Ted Cruz um, mainly as not because necessarily I was a Cruz supporter. Cause I actually was for Rubio at the beginning of the campaign. <clears throat> and uh, actually, initially, I was Rick, Rick Perry, because I've always liked Rick Perry. And then when he quit, it was Rubio. And then um, once it became clear that Rubio had no mathematical chance, even though he was in the race still, um, at that point, it was down to basically someone, it was between Cruz and Trump, and I chose, I voted for Cruz. And, you know, it is one of those things. I'll probably wind up voting for Donald Trump, probably. But, uh, but you know, it's just one of those things where... The chips fell where they f- fell, and there really wasn't anything we could do about it, you know. Um, but I like John Kasich, and I, I think he has a he has a future in the party. Um, are you, uh, if you don't mind me going going out here on this limb and, and asking you guys uh, who you plan to vote for in November? Trump. Oh, yeah. uh, Trump. Gary Johnson. Gary Johnson. I liked Gary Johnson when he was running in 2012, I think it was, or 2008, <clears throat> as a Republican. 2008. Or no, it was, I think it was twelve. He ran as a Republican, um, <clears throat> and he was kind of the uh, the other Rand Paul, and because uh, he's always he's he's always been kind of a libertarian type. Um, or they, I think he actually said during one of the debates that he would have chosen Ron Paul as his running mate if he had won the nomination. Um, but uh, we'll get to him in probably two weeks. Okay. Um, because I think he and he's definitely an interesting uh, <clears throat> you know figure in this race. Yeah. So all right. Um, appreciate your all's input. And again, we'll talk about Hillary next week. Uh, maybe get back to Trump a little bit, maybe in a few weeks, because the election's got a long way to go. Um, have y'all been watching the? Uh, y'all have Showtime. Y'all been watching the? Uh, what's the, the, circus. the show? The circus. Have y'all y'all been watching that? I saw some of it. Yeah, it's just for people listening and for you guys if you haven't watched it. It's really excellent, and uh, and there's some stuff in there dealing with Hillary. We'll talk about next week that kind of points to. Something kind of ominous, I think. But uh, the primary episodes, like the first probably ten episodes, are just excellent, phenomenal, and mostly even-handed um, for for a show that's produced by Showtime and CBS. 
But, um, all right. So we will conclude each show with uh, <clears throat> what I've referred to loosely as a memorial moment. Uh, Justin's going to do a toast uh, to, a, to a Marine. Yes. And um, go for it. Uh, I thought since this is our first episode, we uh, I wanted to look for the first Marine that was killed due to hostile fire um, in Afghanistan, which ended up being uh, Corporal Ronald R. Payne Jr., second-generation Marine. He was born 31 December 1980, and he died on 7 May 2004. So we went to Afghanistan in 2002, and our first Marine casualty uh, due to enemy fire was not until 2004. He was 23 years old. It was his second deployment. He deployed the, uh, initially with the uh, in, in the uh, initial invasion of Iraq. Um, he was a member of Second Light Armored Reconnaissance, Tumar Dev, Tumef. He was a recon scout, and uh, he's from Lakeland, Florida. Um, I thought it was interesting, though, that we went, you know, almost two years before there was a uh, a casualty due to hostile fire in Afghanistan, um, and from whatever, everything I read about this guy, he seems like an amazing, amazing Marine. He had re-enlisted, um, and he had volunteered for the deployment to Afghanistan. So it's where he felt he belonged, and uh, he, he died saving uh, saving his platoon mates. So here's the Corporal Ronald R. Payne, Jr. Till Valhalla, brother. Mm-hmm.